Welcome to the Feminine Truth Podcast with Mary Miranda, a place where you can reconnect with your wild, cyclical, and fierce truth. I am Mary Miranda, a mentor, coach, healer, and intuitive. I guide women on a journey of remembrance, reconnection, and embodiment of who they are, their essence, power, and truth by reawakening the power of their feminine energy, womb, and menstrual cycles. Join me each week to indulge in raw, unedited, and unfiltered topics to help women own and step into their divine feminine truth and become unshakable, unapologetic, and bold in who they truly are. Let's jump into today's conversation. Welcome to Feminine Truth Podcast. I am so excited for you to be here. And today I have such an amazing woman that I really want you all to get to know. She's my official first podcast interview, which I'm so excited. Her name is Mariela de la Mora, and I want you all to get to know her medicine, her wisdom, and everything about her. So Mariela, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Mary. I'm very excited to be here and to be your first interview. I, I promise I will do my best to make it easy. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I'm so happy for you to be here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and pretty much kind of introduce yourself. Yes, so um, I am a life and leadership coach for women of color. I primarily work with daughters and granddaughters of immigrants. And the reason for this is because in my professional career, I did a lot of like the, what you would consider the right things, like climbing the corporate ladder and striving for the six-figure job. I was the eldest daughter of Mexican immigrants. And it was just the thing of like, you want to make your family proud. And so in the journey of me, you know, trying to figure out like, who am I versus who my family wanted me to be? Um, I really, really tried to like be the best. And I had to, you know, kind of face myself in the journey of like being in corporate and leading people and realizing that the higher up I went, the more I faced myself, like the more I faced my own, you know, limiting beliefs and my mindset about not being too bossy, not taking up too much space, being agreeable, all of these things. And I had to face them in that process. And so now what I basically do is I kind of take what I needed, which is what I needed to step into my power and to discover who I really am and to claim my voice. And um, that, you know, is part of what we're going to talk about today. But that's the reason why I went from a 15 year marketing career to being a life coach and a leadership coach, because I want to help women like me to find their voice and step into their power in hopefully much less time than it took me to, to do the same thing. Oh my God, that's so amazing. So I do want to talk a lot about, because when I reach out to you, it's because I heard a conversation that you did on an Instagram live about boundaries. Oh, and I yes. just sort of like reach out to you because I've been following you and I've been following everything that you share about being a first generation daughter of immigrants mm -hmm. and what is that, how specifically that, how has that have an impact in your entrepreneurship journey? Like, is there anything that you can talk about that? Yes. So I think that for me, my entrepreneurship journey really kind of, it, it honestly represents like the opposite of what I was told or modeled I should do. Because entrepreneurship is 
you can't be an entrepreneur without the inner work because you do face yourself in so many ways. You face your, you know, your ideas around money, around being visible, around rejection, around uncertainty, um, so many of these things. And, you know, being a daughter of, of immigrants, what we, what I was modeled was valuable was stability, predictability. Um, I was modeled that opportunities were given to me and that I needed to be grateful for them and not ask for more, you know, and that was something that's been a process of unlearning to be like, I am deserving now and I can create my own opportunities nobody gives them to me and that I I deserve to take up space <laughs> and so I think that those were all things and then even just to trust myself because in entrepreneurship like you have to trust yourself knowing that like the steps are not outlined for you you don't exactly know what's going to happen month to month but to trust yourself means it's okay because you don't need to predict it because you can trust that you'll figure it out. And we're not taught that often, at least for me, because a lot of it was like doing things the right way, not making mistakes, often being criticized as a form of love to be like, well, I'm criticizing you because I want you to be better and I want you to be perfect. And so I had to take all of those things and realize like, whoa, like, what is not serving me right now? And so for me, like healing my inner child is actually what allowed me to be able to even do this business and I couldn't separate the two um it's almost like you need to heal your inner child in order to like thrive in business yeah yeah no I totally agree because that's a lot of the bulk of everything that I have done it's like heal my inner child decondition and deprogram from everything that I learned growing up as a daughter of mm -hmm. a generation and it's just been kind of like doing a lot of the healing work but how do you feel because this is not a lot of things that immigrant daughters of immigrants latina women talk about is the trauma that is often mm -hmm. buried in us because of our lineage because of our yes. mm -hmm. and how it shows up in our lives and businesses can you talk a little bit about that yes so i actually had an experience specifically around this where i was experiencing experiencing something that felt bigger than me but it actually felt bigger than my parents it felt like i don't know where this comes from but it feels like i needed some help <laughs> to figure out what this was and what was coming up for me was it's not safe to slow down it's not safe to rest if you rest something can happen if you slow down you're lazy you're not deserving but it but the feeling of like it's not safe i was like why does it not feel safe And I remember, you know, seeing my mom, like she can never sit down. We go visit and she's just like looking after everybody and she's going and she's doing a bunch of things. And sometimes, you know, so I, I did witness it to an extent of like how hard they had to work and that even when they're resting, they feel like they have to be doing something, at least my mom, but it felt bigger than that. So I actually um, worked with a shaman that my life coach rep recommended to me. So the life coach that I've been working with for a year and I worked with her and she was able to see things without me explaining because she's a shaman. <laughs> without me explaining, she just asked my grandparents' names. And because of that, I was able to like realize that it was bigger than me. It literally went down. She looked back like seven generations um, on my grandmother's side and she shared a story with me um, that essentially was like when they, when my ancestors were colonized, that they were priestesses, they were wise, they were in touch with the earth, they cared for animals, they were just these medicine women. And that when, you know, they were colonized, they were stripped of their power and that it then 
went into like generation after generation of like men controlling the women and the women forgetting how powerful that they always were. And that I was meant to remind my lineage and women like me of the fact that they always were priestesses, they were always powerful. And that the reason that it didn't feel safe was because we had to like produce in order to be valuable. And so I think it was just so much of like realizing that in some cases, the things you can't explain are actually bigger than you and that they were, it's not just your parents. It's actually like trauma that is passed on through generations. Yes, that is so powerful because that's a lot of the work that I do, especially when we store a lot of our trauma in our wombs. And last year I was transitioning, when I was transitioning my business to do this menstrual cycle, this reconnecting with your body, with your wounds and all this work, my coach at the time, she said to me, okay, so you want to help women with empowerment, being in their feminine truth, sensuality and all of this, but how are you still judgmental and criticizing the women in your lineage, your feminine lineage? And I literally got goosebumps. I got goosebumps right now because I was like, oh my God, I am trying to help women in this that I can, I'm able to, but at the same time, I have this subconscious beliefs about the, the women in my own lineage. So I started tapping into that and doing a lot of rituals of forgiveness, uh, really returning back to them, everything that it doesn't belong to me in my womb, doing, oh. a, doing a lot of this work. But I realized that the women in my lineage, and this is something that I heard you talk about briefly, were, mm-hmm. you know, like pr- producers. So they took care of the house. They were yes wives they had my grandma had like 13 children mm-hmm. <laughs> reading machines in a way in a very respectful way I'm sharing this yes. they took care of the house they took care of the children they took care of mm-hmm. the, house. the food had to be cooked by 7 a.m because my grandpa had to come from the camp um mm. and from milking the cows to eat so early so things mm-hmm. had to be ready the dinner everything you know my grandma didn't really have a life so she was self-sacrificing she was very people yes dependent yes and I inherited a lot of that those patterns yes. when I started dating and I realized that I was like okay this is also I take responsibility for my own stuff yep. but when yep. I look back at the women in my lineage I'm like oh my god this is inherited which is yes about that we absolutely yeah that we inherit this through our generations from generations so you and I doing this work it stops with us and your daughter yes. you have a daughter yes so sure <laughs> this is going to help her so much I I'm not a mom and I think part of the reason why I'm not a mom is that fear that my grandma had so many children, my mom had children, they had no lives. And I think that's kind of something I'm working through because it's a lot of yeah. like, being a mom, oh my God, I'm not going to have a life. I'm going to be self-sacrificing. I'm going to be a full mm-hmm. mom. You know, and like all these things, like it's yep. subconscious fear and anxiety that's still in my body that mm-hmm. I think it's not just mine. It's for my yes. Life. And yes. I think it's because my coach said, yeah, maybe your grandma didn't want to have all those children, but that's what she mm-hmm. had to do. That's yes. what she had to do because she didn't yes. have career or anything like that. So yeah, I kind of want to ask you, like you're this new empowered generation, first generation immigrant, daughter of an immigrant, a mother, an entrepreneur. How has this been for you? Because I don't know if your mom has a career. I don't know like how the women in your lineage have been. But for mm-hmm. me, I'm an entrepreneur. And it has not been easy. Uh, and you're the only one that has been? 
Yes. So yes. same with me. Yes. It's same with me. So I, in fact, I'm trying to think, I think there's nobody in my family who's an entrepreneur except my theos that are in Mexico, but my aunts weren't, they married them and they had businesses. So there wasn't anybody in my family who started a business. In fact, nobody in my family moved away from where they grew up. I'm the only person that's moved. I even lived in London at a certain point. I've solo traveled. I met my daughter's father there. He's British and I, I lived there. And so I, I, I knew always like something is different about me. And there was a time where I used to ask myself, like, why can't I just be happy with what I have? And I think some of us ask ourselves that question, especially because I would think about, you know, I quit a six figure, you know, marketing job and it's the job that I always wanted. And I, I left a marketing career like last year, I was a director of marketing and I, I was interviewing at companies that were going to pay me a lot of money. But part of me was like, what, you know, the judgmental voice is like, how dare you want more? Your abuelito worked for, he told me this story before he died that he used to earn um, 50 cents an hour milking cows at the dairy farm and picking fruits and vegetables. And he would get in trouble for eating too many strawberries. And literally like he had to produce this, the produce, he literally had to produce food and pick it. And same thing with the, you know, working in the dairy farms. And he said that he lived in the campos and like with other men and that they worked seven days a week and he'd send all his money home and he'd go home once a year. And, you know, my grandmother also had 11 children that survived out of the 16 that she had on one side and then seven on the other side. And it was a matter of survival. And so I, I was so, because I was the oldest um, in my family, but then even with my cousins, I was one of the oldest. I actually grew up with my grandparents and I had a relationship with them and they helped to take care of me. So I was so close to their immigration story that I really had to grapple with feelings that I was selfish or ungrateful because I left a job that they couldn't even dream about. But it, I was like, I can't shake this feeling that I meant to do something else. And that is... So now the fact that I'm an entrepreneur, to be honest, I still grapple with it. Sometimes I think like, gosh, well, you know, like I could probably just, I still get contacted by recruiters. I could just go and get a marketing job and it would just be easier. But there is something in me that like screams out, like, no, you are so close. You are doing the work already. You're now you're meant to, it's, it's meant to be bigger now. And so for me, it's been a lot around worthiness. Like, who am I to do this? I'm selfish. Um, and, you know, feeling like, am I being irresponsible because I'm a mom and I need to just like have a steady income and it's not always steady, you know, in entrepreneurship. So it's been, it's been almost like, I don't even know how to describe it, but I feel like I've just been peeling away everything that wasn't me to get to this place, even to the extent that when I started coaching, I was a business and marketing coach. So even to call myself a life coach and a leadership coach is a huge, huge departure from like where my identity was and what I praise got praised for, you know? Yeah, it's actually, I was going to ask you something really quick because I heard this on a mm -hmm. podcast, I think one of your interviews when I was kind of trying to find out more who you were and everything, mm -hmm. <laughs> that was yeah. so you know, I really like um, your, how you share the your truth, how honest and authentic you are. So 
And this is something that I've also struggled with. And when I heard you talk about it, I was like, oh my God, I need to have a conversation with her around this. <laughs> okay. The significance of being the fulfilled promise or the American dream of our immigrant parents. Mm-hmm. There's sacrifice and their hard work. And I'm the first generation. So my dad obviously came here and my mom working out of survival. Mm-hmm. So it's how to live up to this standard of the American dream for our parents to make it feel like, to make it seem like it was worth it for them, that coming here was worth it, you know, because everybody in my town is like a very small gossipy town. Everybody knows each other, Mm -hmm. everybody cares about your reputation and el que dirán and all of that. So Mm -hmm. when you come to the United States, it's like for success and how to live up to that expectation. It's a lot, it's a lot Yes, I think the phrase that I use is I felt like I needed to be my parents' receipt for America yeah. or like their trophy child. Um, because And I wanted to be the child that they bragged about at least. And I think the reason I said that in particular is because that is when the family gets together, the fias and everybody talk. And there's also a lot of judgment because that definitely was the case in you know my family where it was like, you know, my fias, the fias kind of always judge like who the brother marries and stuff. And I know that my mom and just women in general, they want to be able to say, oh, well, my kid is doing this. And that, that happened a lot in my family. Like they were not, not to say they weren't nice, but it was a lot about like how things look and children being a reflection of how good of a parent you are. And I just wanted to be that child so much. And I was that child for a long time. And to be honest, I still, I I feel like I still am, but there were years where I'm sure I made that difficult. And I just had to let, let it go to be like, why is she traveling? That's, she doesn't have a job. Like she's not making money. And I was just quitting jobs. I was felt like, what am I doing? You know what I mean? And I think I had to realize that like, we, it's up to us to redefine what the American dream means for us because they got us this far. And now it's like, we can ask ourselves like, well, where to from here? Because they didn't go through it. Really, if we think about it, it's like they struggled so much so that we wouldn't have to focus on survival. So who are we when we're not focused on survival? And that's a question we get to ask ourselves. They didn't get to ask themselves. They didn't get to do that inner exploration. We get to do that. So it was a reframe around what does the American dream mean when you're not focused on survival? Mm -hmm. Like we focus on thriving now and we're focusing on giving back and like giving back to others and our communities and all of that. And they didn't really get to do that. So that, but it hasn't been easy, but that's, that's basically where my mind, I still, I, like I said, I still grapple with that sometimes about like, what does the American dream mean for me? And I think the biggest thing for me is freedom. Like I see my parents and my parents both still work. My dad says he's going to retire this year, but I really, really doubt it because it's so much of his identity. He's been at the same company since 1976. My mom is an executive assistant, you know, and their version of, of, they did, I don't even know if it was freedom. They just wanted stability. And now I'm like, I want freedom. I want choices. I want impact. I want to change up, help other people change their lives. Like that's just a different level of thinking that is a privilege for me to have. Yes. Yes. That is so powerful because when I think about it, is that too, because I was raised always 
being in pain, struggle, sacrifice, pain. Like you have to work hard mm-hmm. for it. You work for hard for it. You don't deserve it. So I always mm-hmm. felt like I'm deserving of everything because I'm like, no, I, I have to kill myself working like my parents did. Yes. And this guilt um, that I've had when I started this journey that I'm like, how do I want everything so easy and effortless and just make money coaching women? Like, no, yeah. it has to be harder. It has to be harder. And I kept yeah. put, putting that on me and I kept making things harder and I, I had burnout. I was miserable. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I bet that you even created it. Cause that's the thing is that when it starts to feel easy, it's so easy for your brain to be like, this feels too easy. I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to over deliver. I'm going to get in like, and then in a bad way, I'm going to do more than I'm supposed to do, or I'm going to charge less because this is too much. And like, who am I to charge? And so you start to like get in your own way sometimes when you start to like, believe those stories that like, it's supposed to feel hard. And it's not that entrepreneurship isn't hard because it absolutely is, but we have to um, get out of the mindset of like exchanging time for money. Cause that it's, it's a totally different, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's a totally different situation, but yeah, just the fact that it's supposed to feel hard and you're supposed to struggle. Otherwise you don't deserve it. I think that's a huge, um, like belief that we have to unlearn. Yes. I think it's not only for daughters of immigrants or women of color, but it's like, it is a little harder for us. I feel because yeah. there are so many people, the privilege and everything that's been going on this, that was uncovered within the past year with the privilege. Mm-hmm like white people and I mm-hmm. matter and all of this but yeah it's just been it I had to do a lot of work and I'm still doing the work because things mm-hmm. come up that I'm like oh I thought I had already healed that and like it's always like kind of coming Ooh, back, yes coming back to it because it's different layers different layers and absolutely the up level the more you want more abundance freedom the more those inner demons <laughs> come back yeah it just it's just an ongoing learning of healing and delayering and deconditioning and deprogramming and all of that, that I don't think it ever really ends a hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. I think we get better at recognizing it. Um, Mm -hmm. and then not allowing it to like guide us, um, or we don't make our decisions like based on that. So, I mean, one example of that is around money because not that everybody wants the same thing in their business, right? But let's say, you know, you want to grow your impact and launch multiple programs and just serve more people. If you want to serve more people, you need to have more programs, which means you probably need help and you need higher help, which means you need to make more money so that you can pay the help and pay your teams. And then that means you look at oh my gosh, you know, I have these expenses. And so when you start to think about like your scarcity around money and that it could dry up at any time. And that's kind of what I grew up with was like, no matter how secure you are in your job, like save every, save every penny, like don't ever take any risks. Like don't ask for, just, just protect your money, save your money. Right. So I've had to grapple with like having more expenses than like literally ever in my life. And it's hard because I'm like, whoa, I, (laughs) every now and then I'm just like, gosh, maybe it would just be easier to like not do this because if I didn't have a business, I wouldn't have any expenses other than my day to day. I wouldn't have, you know, to pay like team members or accountants or like any of these things. But it's like, if I want to make a bigger impact, I have to face this. And, and just when I faced it and I want to go to another level or whatever, like I have to face it again. So you're never really done. 
It's like you get to a certain place and then your, your brain is like, okay, we're comfortable here. We don't want to leave. Your brain's never going to just be like, okay, no, this is fine. It's like, how are you going to get yourself out of it? But to really realize like, it's just your mind trying to keep you safe. And you're thinking about experiences you grew up with, maybe with your parents, you know, things they told you or things that you witnessed around them, not having enough money. And that's going to try, you know, your mind's going to try to keep you safe. So that's been one that I have been grappling with. Yeah, I've had to do a lot of healing and I'm still doing it. Like I'm saying, like for so many different areas, right? Um, about money, money, yeah. mindset, because it was always living paycheck to paycheck with my parents. Mm-hmm. And it's always like, kind of like struggling that there's never enough money. Like money doesn't grow in yes. mindsets. And also yep. rich people that I had this, um, I grew up in a, yeah. in a small town, but like the school that I went to was a paid school. So it was not a public school. It was like, my parents had to pay for us to go there. And it was like three of us going there. So I just remember that it was around like a lot of my friends had a lot of money and it was, I always felt inferior. I always felt, I always felt like I was Mm -hmm. struggling, kind of grasping to get things and I couldn't get the backpack all my friends had. I couldn't get the braces Mm. because they were too expensive. I got retainers, which were, okay. You know, yeah. like little things like that, like the school uniforms. My mom used to, she's an amazing, um, clothing designer i guess mm-hmm. like we call them in mexico yeah like a like, no, you're a yeah i'm like you're a designer mom <laughs> you're a clothing yeah <laughs> she had she was sewing my clothes which she was amazing but all my friends were buying the clothes at the store so it's just like this yes. little thing that i picked up and i remember in kindergarten my graduation my parents gave me this beautiful baby color rainbow sweater that somebody knitted it was so mm-hmm. cool. i was so happy and then all my little friends got really expensive gifts. And I remember uh, like moms are like, oh, so what did you get, Mary? And I'm like, so proud of my little sweater. So uh, of it. And they were like, oh, that's all you got. And they're looking at me from head to toe. And that's mm-hmm. the first time I felt a difference in yeah. so- social economical levels. Uh, I felt in yes. here. And I grew up. And when I came here, I realized that I had this inferior inferiority complex that I've always felt. Yeah. That kind of developed into an imposter syndrome now that I'm an entrepreneur. That's still still kind of uh, very loud, feeling inferior to white women specifically or women that make more money than me. Mm -hmm. And it's not because I'm not good enough, but it's because of this narrative that I had since I was little. How? Yes. And my parents always saying, oh, if you're rich, if you have money, you're stuck up, you're conceited, you're not a yeah. nice person, you're not a nice person, you're mean, you're selfish, all you care about, you, you don't care about the poor, mm-hmm. you don't care about helping others, which is not true because when yep. you have money, it's amazing yes. because you have an abundance, you can help more <laughs> and mm-hmm. you're not a nice people before money, you're not going to be a nice people after money. So This, this is, is true, money people. only amplifies who you yeah. are already. And I hear those same things. It's funny. I, I remember my parents came to um, visit me here and we went to one of the parks here. Um, I think it was like the botanical gardens and in where the botanical gardens are, there's houses on the hills. And I don't know. I, I think that it's just like the separation from them, like allowed me to kind of like observe it more, but she was like, oh, I, my dad was like, oh, I wonder how much like those houses are, you know, here. Cause I've been thinking about moving here. And she's like, I know. She's like, it's just for the rich people. And I'm just like, 
but <laughs> my parents have been working their whole lives to pay off this house that is worth of maybe a, a million and a half in San Francisco, which isn't, to be honest, in San Francisco, a million and a half is not that much, but it's like, so at what point do you say, like, I've literally worked hard my whole life, saved all my money, paid off this house. And you still are like, oh no, but that's like for the rich people. I'm like, you guys made it. You have a million, you're sitting on a million and a half like house. Like it's like this identity, but it, it's the way that they say it is like, it's a bad identity. And I don't want that. And that's for the rich people. It's another, you know, thing. And so I've really had to face that too where I'm, you know, I've actually caught myself being like, oh, you know, it's not about the money. And it's like, well, that's not my main motivator, but I also recognize how it stops me from being able to serve because I, you know, if I can't afford to hire help or I can't afford, you know, certain things then I can't make that impact. So really, really checking, like, what are the things you heard about money growing up? And maybe are you still self-sabotaging yourself from making more because somehow you think I don't want to become a bad person if I make too much money? you know, and there's ideas that people will have around, I'm going to lose my friends or people are going to judge me because we judged people growing up that had money. So you might start to self-sabotage yourself literally because you think bad things are going to happen if you get the thing that you actually want. Yeah. And that totally happens because I, I grew up seeing how my parents used to let my uncles and aunts borrow money and they would never uh, be paid. The money would never come back <laughs> to my parents. So they would, uh, or they would struggle like cobrandoles or just getting yes. the feedback, they would struggle a lot because my uncles would ghost, would stop talking to my parents. Yep. So I grew up with a narrative that my parents are like, people only use you. People only uh, use money and then they don't really care about you. All they care about oh, yes. money. And I grew up with that. So I was, yep. I was sabotaging literally like two years ago when I started this journey that I didn't want to make money because I didn't want people to let me, to ask me to borrow money. <gasps> So funny. Yeah. Where you don't want to talk about it. Cause you're just yeah. like, Oh, they're going to see you have money. Yeah. Oh, I know. Always said, don't ever post how much you make. Don't ever post your success because they retire and they live in Mexico. And right now the area where we live is very, it's really bad with mm. and all of that. It's really bad. Unfortunately. And my parents yeah. were like, don't ever talk about money because we can get kidnapped, which it has happened to a lot of people in the town. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, I feel like kind of like in prison when it comes to God, because it's like, oh yeah. my God, I cannot even celebrate it. Make a lot of money, like I cannot even celebrate it, which is okay. But I'm like, I'm like, am I the type of person that would post how much money she makes? Ooh. And there, there's mm -hmm. like all this like beliefs that come judgment around that. Yeah, like, yeah. People are going to think I'm this and that I'm like, oh my God, I still have healing around this. And here I go again. <laughs> This is so true. So firstly, it's interesting to note that culturally there is a difference if your parents live in a country where like it isn't safe. Cause that's the reason I've never visited Mexico really. Like I've gone to tourist places, but my dad was always like, it's not safe. I left. I don't really have any interest in going back. They kidnap people, you know, all this. And I never went back. Um, right. I never really, really, really visited. So there is, there is some truth to that, but also it's like, how, what did you internalize? Cause I've actually struggled with that as well, where I didn't, I started to talk about it when I was a business coach, then I stopped talking about it. And then I think I needed to see enough women like me post about how much money they made for me to say, does that feel different to me when I see a, a, a Latina 
posting about, you know, how much money she's making, does it feel different to me? And the, an- the real answer was like, yes, because I think that subconsciously when I saw white women posting like, oh, I had a whatever 20K month, I thought, oh, better look, they're, they're, they're rich people, right? Or like they're white people. And you think that that's not for you. It's something about it made it real. It made it feel accessible to me. Like I could really do it. And so I did start sharing more around it mostly because I had to let go of my own story that like, oh, I don't want people to think that like, I'm in, you know, I, all I care about is money, even though no one is going to think that, but I, I, I started to share it because I wanted women to know that I could be a single parent and be a Latina working through her generational trauma. And I can still make six figures in my first, you know, 12 months, barely, but I made, you know, barely six figures, but I'm like, that is, to me, I'm like, I, I feel like I have to say that. I feel like I have to say that. And to say that I didn't, you know, that I did it my way and that it's okay and that there isn't like a blueprint and I didn't follow anything, you know, that I was coached to do, to be honest. So we almost have a responsibility. Sometimes we don't have to do it publicly, but I think to just share because our example means so much more. Um, it, our example means so much more to women who look like us, I think. Yes, and it's this is huge work of decolonization, mm-hmm. first generation. So, what work have you done for yourself, and that you help? Because I know you help clients with this. This is your like cup of tea yes. for now, right? Yes, yes. I think I really had to even um, understand where, like, where my own mind was still like colonized. Like, what did I believe? And to be honest, I did not realize this until like last May, June with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, And I think the reason that that awakened me to it was because I realized like, gosh, I, I, my business coach was a white woman. Every woman, every person I had given money to in my first year of business in courses was all white and they were big names. And there was something about that where I was like, how come I still feel like I know what to do, but I can't do it. You know? And then I realized like every coach that I was following was white. Every person that I, every person I was interacting with was white. So like, no wonder I was really struggling because I think part of me was like, it's not for me, it's for them. And I think when I realized that, you know, I saw them as being the gatekeepers of knowledge. I saw them as being the only people that could like really help me because they were white. And I wasn't actively thinking these things, but I think I was leveraging. I was just, they were just beliefs that I adopted. And so I realized like, okay, the way that I sell and market is like, even that is like, I'm, you know, I was taught how to manipulate and how to like use fear and scarcity tactics and false sense of urgency and really like dig at people's pain points. And I was a marketer before, but I never marketed to people like one-on-one. I usually was within bigger businesses. So it affected everything from how I sold, how I ran sales calls, my pricing, to be honest, because I was told like, you need to charge more and more and more and more. And to be honest, I have different levels now where I'm like, there's certain clients where I'm like, it just doesn't take as much of my time. So I'm not going to charge you more just because I've been doing this longer. Like, I just don't believe that it should be a price that feels good to you. And you're not taught that. So I basically had to decolonize, like literally everything from my marketing to my sales, to how I served clients to be a lot more consent-based, to be to be able to take into consideration their life experience, their trauma, um, and just kind of really throw out a lot of the ideas that I built my business on um, initially. So 
it's been a process. <laughs> it's been a process, but I feel like it's allowed me to serve like a really diverse client base from like women from all different backgrounds in different countries. And um, that's earned to be honest, because that means women that who have parents from different countries all over the world, trust me because I, I obviously have earned their trust and I didn't want to, I want that to me. I'm so proud of that. Like, I'm really proud of that because the impact that I want to make is on women of color. Um, but you don't earn the trust of women of color if you aren't a safe space for them. Yes. And you have to be an embodiment of the work that you do. And and they have to see that you, it's kind of that relatability that you have overcome or still working through the struggles that they have. So it's kind of like, they feel like that safety maybe because they're, they look at you and they're like, oh my gosh, she's that woman of color. Mm-hmm. she's a mother she's an entrepreneur like she's overcome what I'm going through like oh my god I feel safe and I get- mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just that safety and I re- and yeah. what you said right now I relate about the when my first like two years of being an entrepreneur I used to only hire white coaches like subconsciously mm-hmm. follow them because mm-hmm. why like very underneath everything is like the American dream. The white yes. This is what you want to achieve. White people. Yep. You have to. It's not like I wanted to be a white woman, but subconsciously I'm like that is the American dream. Be like a white woman. Like yeah. And they have the key. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I used to tell I myself. Like they have the key. The word matter more. They knew all the knowledge. Like they knew how to do things. They knew the way. So I kind of subconsciously, kind of just subscribed to that. Like a little. I felt like I was so blind when it came to that. Yeah. I invested a lot of money in white coaches, and not mm-hmm. that people, they're amazing, but they yeah. were not for me. They were not for me, and I yes. did not know yes, yes. because they gave me the medicine that I know now even though I invested a lot of money that I had to work with a lot mm-hmm. of, a lot of regret, the guilt, the shame that I paid yes. so much money and that it didn't work out. It was not because they were not the, the good coaches. It just, they were not the right fit for me. Right. From yes. informed. They didn't know about the immigration lens. They didn't know about what it's like to be a first generation woman here in the United States. No. They don't know all mm-hmm. the struggles that we do. And I remember mm-hmm. my business coach that I hired two years ago, I remember that she, I felt, and I didn't know this at the time, like gaslighting and like she bypassed yeah. mm-hmm. that I would be like, oh, I just feel like it's, I don't have what it takes. I just feel like I'm not meant for success. I just feel like I have all this limiting beliefs. And she's like, oh, don't ever say that again. You are meant for success. And she, you know, she's trying to oh, be a gosh. But yes. me, and she's like, okay, don't ever say that again. Start saying this affirmations. And I'm like, well, that doesn't feel like anything to me. It didn't land right. because the trauma, it was yes. in my body. Like, you know, it's like this. And, and it also came from- And it was like, modeled to you. Yes. It's so whenever yes. she tried coaching me, I stopped feeling safe in her presence because I felt like she just wanted me to shut mm-hmm. up, be silent. She wanted me to never yeah. talk again, just like my parents would always say, Cállate. No vuelvas a decir yeah. eso. And you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're wrong. So I just felt like that. And I, she started feeling that safe. And I started seeing her um, talk more about other clients that she had than me. So I started feeling like, mm-hmm. I'm good enough. And like, oh, yes, yes, yes. So that's also my own stuff to work through that I didn't know at the time, but she triggered a lot of me 
that thanks to that relationship, I have been able to do a lot of healing when it comes to that. But yes. what I why is it important to work with a coach who is trauma-informed, yes. who, who understands the difference between you know, our experiences as immigrants, as daughters of immigrants, because first generation and this cultural conditioning, like why yeah. is it important? to have a coach that knows. <laughs> yes. So the analogy that I've um, used in the past is that trauma, when you're limiting beliefs, and we talk about limiting beliefs, they come from somewhere. Your mindset comes from somewhere. If you don't understand it and you're working with somebody who isn't trauma-informed or at least understand, you don't need to know somebody's culture in order to help them or to hold space for them. Um, because I've certainly worked with women from different cultures from mine, but there's, you know, there's enough similarities. And I honestly think it's possible even for a white person to hold space effectively for a person of color. Um, it's much more challenging, but I think that the most important thing is just if you don't, if you aren't able to help your clients understand where these beliefs came from, and you just want to tack on new beliefs and new behaviors on top of that, it's like painting over mold. So you can paint over mold and it's going to look pretty, but then you wait and then the mold's going to start like creeping back up again. You're not actually fixing anything. It's like termites. Like it's just going to keep coming back and it's going to be worse next time because now you've ignored it. And now you've put this person in a situation where like, oh my gosh, like I, I have to do this. And so the reason that it's important is because a trauma-informed coach, or at least a culturally sensitive or culturally aware coach will be able to ask questions to help you get to the root of where did you feel this way before? So when you say, I, um, I don't think I can do this. I'm not deserving. And when you say like, okay, where, like, do you have memories of feeling this way? Did somebody, you know, like, just tell me about that. Like, have you always felt, is this the first time you've ever felt this way? And most of the time they'll say, no, like I used to always feel this way. I didn't want to get it wrong. And my parents would always criticize. And the thing about understanding where something comes from and helping them to dig back is that you can number one, release the shame around it because you go, oh my gosh, I have a real reason why I feel this way. It's not that it's not true. It served me at a time when I was a child. So I think number one, you're able to observe it. Number two, you can release shame and judgment around it. Number three, it gives you a reason. Like you actually have a cause for it, which is incredibly validating. And then I think you can actually address it at the source. You can talk to the little girl and be like, what did the little girl, what did she need to hear at the time? And sometimes those things are, you're beautiful and you're worthy as you are. You don't need to get an A. You don't need to erase your homework and redo it. You know, we love you. It's okay if you make a mistake, we're not gonna throw it in your face. We'll always be here no matter what. And that's where the reparenting comes in because it's if you're just trying to change the symptom of how it's showing up today, it is very difficult, if not impossible to do that. You actually might have to have a conversation with yourself as a child and even forgive your parents and forgive them for doing the best that they had with what they knew, but that's where healing happens. Like that is where real, real like reckoning happens, like at the core of where it happens. And then you can be like, I can leave that behind now. That was never me. I, and I can figure out who I really am now. Otherwise it's very, very hard to do that. And that is why I, I knew I couldn't just do business coaching because what wound up happening with the women I was attracting, which was daughters of immigrants, is that we would wind up spending more time talking about mindset than we did about strategy. And the more I would be like, do this, do this, do this. They're like, okay, but like, 
but what about this? And what about this? And I was like, okay, I feel like I'm feeding this like anxiety spiral. And we started unwinding that. And rather than me feeding the anxiety spiral of giving them answers and then being terrified of getting it wrong and disappointing me, because they would tell me this, we started talking more about childhood. And to be honest, what wound up happening was they had way more answers than they thought that they had. They had way, they had all the answers. They needed me to help them a little bit, to be honest, but it, rather than it being 80% me, 20% them, it flipped to where it was like 80% them, 20% me, because they were able to actually understand like why they can't trust themselves in the first place. So that is, that is why, <laughs> that is why, you know, I do the work that I do and why I feel like anytime you coach someone like without understanding them and who they are in their life and all of that is like super, super important, or at least to be able to hold space for it. Yes, that's totally true because the coach that I had, the business coach, she was not trauma informed. She didn't know how to support me in what I yeah. need. And it's not because she, like I said, she's an amazing, she was helping all these women hit uh, six figures, mm-hmm. <laughs> 10K, 20K. So it was also like about me and everything I came, all the conditioning and programming. Yeah. I knew it was that much. And mm-hmm. I went to work hard. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. hard because it's just so much every day, like things come up, you know? And it's just like, for me, I am so passionate about finding the root. Yeah. I struggle even with health issues. Like the doctor, mm-hmm. it, it was like a bandaid approach, right? Like, yep. like a bandaid approach. You just want to put a bandaid, give you a thought, like a pill. And that's going to solve the thing. But it's like, no, yep. what is the root? What is it? Why is this happening? Yes. So like when I started doing the work in me, I'm like, no, I am going to be my own advocate. I'm going to mm-hmm. find my answers. I'm going to find out why I have this limiting belief, why this right. is happening to me, why I have this health issue, why I'm not able to attract the men that I desired. Yep. And it's just like, everything goes back to childhood. I was like, oh, that's kind yep. of the common yeah. childhood. It is. Like, yes. And everything in your life is like, oh, trace it back. It goes back to childhood. And you know, it, childhood, it also comes through like generational trauma and all of this so and even past life uh trauma too that comes with us yeah uh, finding the root has been amazing in my journey and then yep. finding why I even have endometriosis like as I help women with so and this is so this is so funny because right now that you mentioned that you're like you were a business coach but everything that you were helping women behind the scenes was like the deconditioning the, the healing yep everything and that's exactly what I started doing because women come to me about like uh, this womb health issues or about this or why or when I was uh, dating a relationship coach and everything's like okay Mm -hmm. let's talk about your childhood and then all of the work and I was like okay I am really passionate about doing the inner work (laughs) like I am oh yeah the shadow work finding their roots I'm like because once you find their roots it is so much easier to start from there yes and it's like a ripple effect to your entire life so it's just like one of those things that is just I wish more people knew about it and I think that one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show because you are a leadership coach a life coach but also like a business coach in a way but yeah. you deal with the root. You deal, you talk yes. about like the behind the scenes of who you are when nobody sees anything. It's like, 
what is your truth? Who are you? Yes. Everything. Exactly. That I'm so passionate about. And I'm so glad that I was able to find you. <laughs> to talk about yeah, that. I am too. And I hope more people really start to, you know, recognize that, like, if you have patterns that show up in your life um, and, it, and something continuously happens, it probably is related to a trauma. And oftentimes it's not a lot of different ones. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of times like it goes down to a few key things that just happen to be popping up in a lot of different areas in your life. It could be in your relationship. It can be in, you know, in your business. It can be in dating. It can be with your children. Um, but it's like the script. It's a script that's running in the background and it's running things unless you actually are able to read it and be like, what is this script that's been running in my life? You know, so absolutely. Like I feel the same way. <laughs> um, and that's the reason why no matter what the goal is, I always address the roots. So there's always a goal and that's leading, you know, being a better leader for your team or the goal is something with your business or the goal is something else. There's always a goal, but they, they want to be seen for who they are in trying to achieve the goal instead of like, okay, we'll just do it. Here's, here's the steps. Like, just go ahead and do it. That doesn't work. It's let's understand what is actually holding you back, how it's showing up. And then we can actually have a more, you know, a more human approach to, to achieving our goals and our dreams and becoming the person that we want to be. Yes, because a lot of times we have this goal that we want to achieve, but there's all these blocks. That we're like, How come it's not mm-hmm. happening? We're sabotage. We procrastinate. Perfectionism. Imposter syndrome and all of this, but you don't know that there's like a root to that because a lot of people are absolutely like, push through it. Just just commit, just be disciplined. And I tried and I was like, it's not working because right. when I to sit still, be disciplined, committed, focus, my body my nervous system was so dysregulated that I would, that was just not safe. Yes. Always in fight or flight. I was always in anxiety. Mm-hmm. Why is this happening? So when I addressed the roots and I was working on my, and I've been working on my nervous system, the somatic work, the body work is when mm-hmm. everything changed. Cause I'm like, okay, now this is why my body has been living in fight or flight. This regulated yeah. and I didn't know about. Yeah. I always thought I had all this, like I was very fearful, doubtful, but I never knew I had anxiety. Uh-huh. I knew I had anxiety. Like I yeah. never had panic attacks. I never We don't knew. even talk about those oftentimes no. growing no. up. You're I just, just Yeah, it was just, just no. We don't talk about that because for us culturally, if we go to a therapist or we start taking oh yeah or anything like that, it's because you're crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're crazy. Which and your parents so- can even take it personally to be like, well, what did we do? We gave you everything. Yeah, yeah. And so-, so it becomes like a lot of judgment around that and recognizing that like we are, we have emotional, you know, needs and that trauma is stored in the body. Cause yeah, your body will react to that. So even in like in the entrepreneur space, um, even phrases like, following your fear or do it scared or messy action can work for some people, but for other people, it can be really triggering. And it's not to say that you wait until you don't feel fearful to move forward. But I think without recognizing where the fear comes from, you're kind of gaslighting the person. And that's why I feel like understanding where it comes from, you know, is super important. That is so important. Okay. So we're almost about to wrap up, but I do want to ask you a question. Okay. So since you've done a lot of healing work on you, you have done taking care of your little girl, your inner child and everything. What is the, your truth now? Who is Mariela de la Mora now after all the, underneath all the conditioning, programming, belief systems, triggers, colonization, everything yeah. that you until now, who is the real you? 
you know, when essence, like who is, who is Mariela? <laughs> when you first started asking this question, I was already looking for the answer. Cause I didn't know you were going to ask me this question. And this, this part of me, the perfectionist in me is like, Oh my God, you need to give a profound answer. But by the time, cause this is, this is still my tendency. Right. So, but by the time you finished asking the question, I was like, I know what image came to mind for me. Yeah. Um, of who I am. And it's an image that came to mind in my, um, I don't know if some people know what this phrase is, but it's like during my dark night of the soul, which was like the hardest time of my life, like literally the most painful time of my life where I was really seeking for meaning. And, um, and I actually see that I've embodied this now, but I, I got this image of a lighthouse and a lighthouse. And I, I don't know where, if I read something somewhere and it sparked this, but a lighthouse can only experience its true essence in the dark, in the day it serves no purpose. And so if you are some, if you are wondering why you feel like maybe you've experienced a disproportionate amount of pain in your life, it's because you're meant to be a lighthouse for others to find their way home. And at the time I had just started like my awakening process. And now I feel like my purpose is to be a lighthouse. And when I asked myself, like, why did my marriages not work out? And like, why did all of these things not work out? The picket fence and the house and all of these things, I truly believe I was meant to be a lighthouse and that I was chosen by my ancestors. And in fact, my ancestor spoke to the shaman who told me she did choose me. Um, she used the term, um, something about like the diamond where the diamond has to experience pressure in order to become the diamond. And I believe many of us are these are these people that are meant to be lighthouses, are meant to be the diamonds. We meant to experience pressure so that we can help other people to find their way home. And I feel like I've, um, I found her now. So that's who I am. <laughs> that is so powerful, not only for you, for your daughter, mm -hmm. your, your lineage, yeah. your ancestors, that I'm pretty sure they're applauding and so proud yeah, of Yeah, I hope so. Because <laughs> I've been spending my whole yeah. life being like, what's wrong with me? Why can't the, I just be happy? Yeah, and also the women that follow you, that is so empowering. I feel like I am too. I am like the black sheep of the family, the one that's yeah. cycle breaker and all of this. Mm -hmm. rebel in a way, because I'm going against everything my parents have taught me. Yes, and yes. You know, especially with the line of work that I do, it's it's just not it's I'm not being supported on it, but it's okay yeah. because I learned to to have my own approval and validation. And absolutely, if I don't have theirs, I understand. And it was just a lot of forgiving. It was a lot of uh, yeah, them from me needing them to accept me. I'm like, no, yes, like that. It's okay if they don't. One day they'll come. Yeah. Uh huh. I had a hard time accepting them for who they were. So it was like, it's reciprocal. It was that reflection. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Actually, that's so true. They have a hard time accepting you. You have a hard time accepting yeah. them and all of this. This comes up a lot with my clients. Like more than once this week, I've had conversations around this and there's a little bit of sadness sometimes that comes from that realizing that they live in a different reality than us and maybe they're never going to fully see us and experience us for who we are, but that that's okay because anybody that's ever created change you know, in, in generations or in history has always kind of been this outlier. And um, we will create a bigger impact or maybe they will understand better through us being rather than trying to explain or get validation. And maybe they won't ever, but that we will, we will do more by being rather than explaining. Yes, exactly. Because we grew up performing, doing, trying to, you know, get approval receivers and, and all of this when we yep. learn to get love through doing things, not 
by who we were and that was that's exactly a learning lesson for me on my journey and it's yes. just amazing and they'll come around and if they don't it's fine yeah um but it's just it's been one of those journeys with my parents <laughs> you know they might mine definitely came a very 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 long way um especially since my daughter was born and that caused me to really step into this because I was like I am not passing this on so you never know everyone's parents are different but I would have never thought that I could have the conversations that I can have with my parents but it, it took a very long time so yeah, right. you never know but it wouldn't have changed any of the actions that I took even if they didn't yeah I learned that if I wanted change I had to start mm -hmm. with me yeah and I had to start changing me because once I changed they were going to change around me and their relationship has definitely changed yeah. I couldn't be around them because I used to get so triggered like so triggered to yes. the my, my arms and my legs would be in pain from yeah. all the stress that my body couldn't take and I yep. didn't know why and I couldn't be around them now I'm able to be around them and that's okay and it's yeah it's like, for me that's success <laughs> to be able it to absolutely is there was a lot of criticizing there was a lot of judging there was a lot of how yes. come you're not domestic enough how come you don't mm -hmm. Because I'm going through a the final process of a divorce. Mm -hmm. It's like, why are you divorcing? Da, da, da. And it's just like mm -hmm. home. And it's just like all this like judgment and all of this that I was just like, yeah. well, I don't like, I don't like being domestic. I don't like cleaning the house. I don't like doing anything. Yeah, and you don't have to do it that way. And this is and why this is when my coach is like, well, you need to heal your feminine lineage because here you are trying to be the new ancestor for your feminine lineage but right. you have all this all these things like all this resentment toward them that is storing your womb and you want to help women which you can help them but you have to be an embodiment so I became my own best client yeah myself through the process not the process yes. you have a process but through yeah take someone journey I mm -hmm. did. So I had to do a lot of healing in my feminine lineage and being okay with not being domestic, being okay with not loving cleaning because this is a huge thing. If you don't know how to clean and cook, you're a failure as a Latino. Oh, I know. <laughs> that know is the same thing with me. If you don't know how to make tortillas, they, <laughs> and all that, you're, and I'm like, I don't know how to make it. And nobody's going to want you, you know, and that's okay. what it is. And then who are you if you don't I do know, that? So I, it, yeah, I it know. Absolutely. I know how to cook. I don't get me wrong, but not. I do too. I just don't like to. Not anything, I'm tired. Not, not anything <laughs> traditional. Like not all those mm. It's Like I don't really know how to make them. I make my own healthy because I'm very into health and fitness. I make. Oh yeah, and healthy. a lot of our food is not. Yeah, so mm -hmm. it's just like it's like a, I'm like yeah because I'm more modern in a way, but at the same time, yes. like, I don't. But at the same time, it's like oh, those recipes are going to die with my mom. <laughs> like, who's going to... So I have them all written down just in case, but it's... Good to have them written down, even yeah, if you don't yeah. do them. But I love what you said about you are the new ancestor to your lineage. I thought that was so powerful. I had not thought about it that way. Yeah. I think in that way, I feel like, wow, I actually have a, a, a responsibility to be like, this, oh, you yeah. know, this being the cycle breaker. And I hadn't thought about that. So yeah. I, I thank you for that. Like, I'm going to sit and think about that one <laughs> yes, I have nieces I have three nieces gonna be four in August so for me it's like okay we gotta do this work now deeper for healing the feminine right. and mm -hmm. because I'm going to be one day an example for them because the work that I do is liberation yeah and decolonization and all that so for me it's mm -hmm. very important to be a role model 
And yes, when I think about, I'm like, I'm the future ancestor of this little girls. Like I am the ancestor of my yeah. dreams or, you know, so when I think and just being that, the example, we didn't have, because we yeah. only saw, I only saw one example of a woman and that is to be a wife and mother. And it's a beautiful, wonderful yes. thing, but it's, it, it's, it changes something when you actually see somebody in your family and they're like, let's say, you know, seeing someone who's like, I got divorced. I didn't see divorce in my family, you know, or choosing not to have children or choosing to travel or choosing to whatever. I didn't, I didn't see that. We had to be that person <laughs> and grapple with it. But for them, it's going to be so much easier because they're going to have the example. Yes. Yes. So and that's a beautiful thing. Thank you. So one thing I want to ask you one more thing, it's like, what is a shadow part of you that has truly been hard to overcome or heal? And you're probably still doing the work, but what is something that's oh, yes. so difficult? Oh, yes. I would say um, rejection. I have um, huge abandonment issues. And so for me, rejection shows up as fear of failure, fear of public failure. And so it showed up specifically in the fact that I don't actively sell or pitch. I tend to just kind of have conversations and I've gotten by like really well on this, but I've gotten to a point now where I'm like, why does it feel so scary to put myself on what feels like a stage to fall on my face and fail? But that comes from my abandonment issues of being like, people are going to watch me fail. And I don't ever want to, I don't ever want to fail publicly. So I'm just going to do everything behind the scenes, but I'm never going to say that I want something. I'm never going to announce that I'm in a, you know, anything like that because I don't want to fail. So that is by far the hardest one. And it's been following me around for years and I'm coming face to face with it right now and having conversations with my day self every day about this to be like, am I really less worthy if I don't get the results that I thought that I was going to get? Why does this feel so big? But it really is, it is the work and it never stops, but that's mine. <laughs> I have one, but mine is also public humiliation. I do have, yeah. a, I have a humiliation wound from, from elementary school. Mm. I, was old, I was humiliated in public in my school. Um, yeah. And it was just this, it's taken a lot of healing sessions about that. And it was also tied to betrayal of a little friend that I had. Um, and she accused me of something that I was like, but I gave you that gift. Why would you think I stole the gift that I gave you? Like that doesn't Oh sense. yeah. And it was a little notebook that I got here when I came to visit my dad when I was little. And she just told the nuns that I stole it and they just humiliated me so much. I never told my mom, I never told anyone, but I carried this and it was in, in my yeah. body. So like, it was just this rejection, humiliation, this like- Humiliation, because that's public. Yes, yes. Exactly. And that's, that's, yeah. Publicly and people laughing about mm-hmm. it. Exactly. It's so deep. Exactly. And, and then you notice certain things in entrepreneurship will, will mimic that feeling. And to me, launching a program publicly and talking about how many spots you have left, to me, is like being on a stage to be humiliated, to be like- well, you said you had this many spots. And so I really had to be like, how could I sell in a way that isn't like that? And so a lot of business is like, how could you do it in a way that feels like more in authenticity to you? Because I swear to you, it is, it's terrifying when people launch things I, and they talk about messy action and all of that. It just brings me back to childhood. And I'm like, I don't ever want to announce something that I could fail at. I'd rather have these one-to-one like conversations and sales conversations and all of this and not announce something until I feel a little bit more secure yeah I'm you know we're working (laughs) through it but even recognizing any memories you have from childhood 
especially from before you were seven, it's probably because it was an incredible day or because it was a traumatic day. And I'm, I remember more of like my traumatic days than anything else. So they shape us, you know, it doesn't mean we have to operate under that fear forever, but honoring where it came from is such a, it's, it's just validating. And I think we all need that. Yeah. So, so yeah. Wonderful. And the last question that I have for you, I'm sorry, yes. we're going a little bit over. <laughs> All right. What is a ritual that you do to be in an energetic alignment to your truth, to who you are, to your essence, and that helps you just be rooted in you and your body, your intuition? Yeah, um, I recently restarted doing this because I dropped off for a while, but this was the vehicle by which I reparented myself with journaling. And so every day my alarm goes off um, at like 7.15 and then I sit in my chair and then another alarm goes off at 7.45 and the alarm is promised to self. And it's much less about what I journal about and much more about the fact that I get to observe my thoughts and be with myself and that it's my time and it's sacred to me. And I tell my daughter, baby, mommy's going to be journaling. She goes, okay, mommy. And she like, lets me journal. So to me, that is everything. It may seem like something small, but to actually, as a mom, carve out half an hour for myself every day where I put my phone down and it's me and my journal. And I go back and I'm like, what's coming up for me? And I go and I underline it. I'm like, okay, how am I feeling? What am I looking forward to today? What's going on in my head? Is this true? That is sacred to me. Um, so that to me is what I do to keep myself in alignment. That and getting outside every day to walk because that just like my body needs to be regulated sometimes, especially when I get. Um, so midday walks and morning journaling has, have been my anchor. Those are so powerful. And I feel like it's, you're setting more than for yourself, but an example for your daughter to see that taking care of you is good. Self-love, yes. care is you, honoring you, doing you a little bit. Yeah. I didn't grow up with that. I didn't know. So me either. It's like this new generation is this new example for well, me for my nieces, because I don't have a daughter, but my niece when but I But you still are an example. Sit, she sits in the bed. I was like, okay, auntie's gonna go in the bathroom and she's like, You're gonna meditate. I was like, Yes, she knows. Yeah, but my brother has asked me not to show anything that I do in front of her, which I because they 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 know what I do, like the yeah. rituals and all of that. And I was like, no, it's okay. I have to respect their boundaries too. Yes. And I said, okay, but she knows I meditate, she knows I journal, she knows yes. things like that, which is good. But I'm just very cautious when it comes to her that she doesn't see what I do, but she knows about it. And she knows it's like self-love, self-care. You gotta take, mm. you gotta meet your own needs, you have to find your own joy. And I tell her all the time, when you grow up, if you ever need any help, I'm here for you. La, da, da. That's good. Yes, but they learned through example. Right? Absolutely. And you can make such a profound example. And sometimes an aunt is even more of a safe space than a mother in the sense where you're like, well, I don't want my mom to get mad at me. But your, your Thea can kind of be like, She's like, you know, like a friend, but like an adult and someone I trust. So it's a beautiful relationship. I love that. <laughs> I'm, her, I'm her godmother too. Oh. And more, it goes deeper, but my spiritual yeah. are different now. Yes. And they know about them. They know I'm not religious. I'm not subscribed mm -hmm. to Catholic religion anymore. I respect yep. because my parents are. Oh, yeah. But they know I'm so like, I'm so like on a spiritual role model in a way. Yeah. Just a different type of spirituality, 
but yeah. she's into crystals she's into the full moon she's into all of that she's into like picking up feathers and knowing that angels are around you oh little things that. like that but um yeah it's just she's my wife my niece is my why. I love that. And that is the, the most important why, because I'm like, you can change the world by like changing what your children or the children in your life are exposed to. We literally, well, we start with us, but like they are the physical representation of like what the world is going to be and who is going to lead it. So yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. And I think about that all the time with my daughter, because I'm like, she is a mirror to me and my own healing, but she's also my muse because I'm like, oh my gosh, I get to show up differently for you. I get to witness a child who is totally confident and outspoken and never anticipates that someone doesn't want to talk to her like she just assumes everybody loves her and I'm like my job is literally to just nurture that that is it you are perfect like that is yeah that's beautiful <laughs> so it's just weird. listening those like you're worthy you're enough as you are you don't have to do anything you're worthy yes as you are yes like that is so important because I think back every day I was like what did I what did I wish my mom would have told yeah. me yeah and I just like I do the, the mm -hmm. thing and I just tell myself that, or I just rock myself and it's just how like, that's what you needed oh. to hear. Yeah. Every day I'm like, until it becomes yep. my truth, I'm going to keep repeating that. And yep. sense, it's like a, it, it might never go away, you know, it might never go away and it's okay. It's just learning as you go. You learn to give yourself what you needed. That's really all that reparenting is. That's what the healing work is. And, you know, at the end of the day, like what we needed was very, very, very basic. And that's why I say when you do reparenting, it's generally down to unconditional love, you know, and that we didn't receive it. And how can we give that to ourselves? So, yeah. Oh God, this has been amazing. So, yes. how do you want our listeners to contact you? And the work that you do, how can people get a hold of your wisdom of your <laughs> the, just tell yes. you? <laughs> yeah, the best place is definitely on Instagram. It's where I spend more of my time. It's where, you know, I just I'm on stories and I just share, I definitely share a lot about my personal life um on there because it is related to my work. Um and so that is at mariella.dalamora at um on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And okay. so follow me, send me a message. Yes. <laughs> Is there anything you want to tell the listeners before we wrap up? Any words of wisdom, any, anything that you feel? I, like I think the one message from me, from my life experience is like, it's never too late to start again. And that it, it doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter, you know, if you feel like you're stuck, it's never too late. I didn't begin my awakening journey until I was 31 and I feel like it's when I began living for the first time. And so it's never too late. You can always choose what your future is going to look like and what, who you want to be starting now. So just to welcome that. <laughs> I actually began my awakening at 31 after my, ah. after my Saturn return, which is in Scorpio, which is, it was not fun. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Awaken after our Saturn return, when we get yeah. in the head with the worst <laughs> sometimes. That makes sense. Cause it, mine was literally right after my 31st yeah. birthday. I responded to a situation as my higher self. Whereas before I had responded to the same situation as my wounded self. And it was like, I woke up and was like, nope. And I ended a marriage. So it, it was a 13 year relationship. So it was 31. It is never too late. Thirties <laughs> were beautiful. I'm now 40. I just turned 40. Um, and I feel like I've 
honestly aged backwards from when I was 30 because I'm happier now. I'm fulfilled now. So it is, it's never too late. And I, I, I want people to know that. And I think most of the women that I work with are still in like their twenties or like early thirties. And I want to be like, oh my gosh, you have so much time. <laughs> and I think it's so good that you're saying that, that you're happier now, because those are emotions that we're, I don't know, at least me as a first daughter of an immigrant, yeah. uh, I used to joy pleasure, happiness. Yeah. I was naive. Yeah. I was struggle, hustle, achieve, do, 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 burn out. Mm -hmm. And it's just now tapping into abundance, tapping into this new, new paradigm of it's okay yeah. to be joyful. It's okay to be happy. It's okay to enjoy life. It's okay to make a lot of money. It's okay. It to is. And to enjoy life right now. And that yeah. that's revolutionary when you come from a lineage that was about survival and someday that because they focused on someday, we can focus on now. We can focus yeah. on enjoying ourselves now. And what does joy look like? And what does rest look like? And mm -hmm. all of that, like that is, it's beautiful. And it's literally from where we come from. It's like revolutionary. Like that's what we get to do. So like, let's never forget that oh my god I feel like we can talk we can do <laughs> I, <know>. I love <laughs> it again do another episode on resting boundaries and like so much oh my gosh yes on boundaries <laughs> we'll have to yeah. come back because we I can talk to you about this stuff forever <laughs> I love it and yes. I'm so honored that I was your first guest on your podcast and just yes I just I loved everything about this and you're doing such yeah. incredible amazing needed work for um for all of us, you know, for all of the daughters of immigrants. Yes. Thank you so, so. much for being my first guest. My <laughs> interview. I'm so excited. Yes. It was so and good. I can't wait to share you, us, this conversation with everyone. And thank you yes. so much. Thank you, Mary. Thank you so much for being part of this conversation for Feminine Truth Podcast. This podcast is for you for me, for us, for the Feminine Collective. Thank you so much for spending your time and energy with us. Share on Instagram and Facebook stories what resonated with you. And if you're listening to this and for anyone to get a hold of this podcast at Feminine Truth Podcast, and if you feel called to, leave us a review, let us know your thoughts, let, on, let us know how this has felt for you listening to the podcast. And the episodes are going to be every Tuesday, so I cannot wait to see you next time. Sending so much love.